أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل أقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم فقهنا في الدين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to another session of Weekly Iman Boosters by Ikna Sisters on the topic of social justice so as you've been following along this series, we've covered the concepts of social justice in our deen, its emphasis and implementation from the conception of Islam in Arabia and throughout our history. And now we're getting closer and closer to our own reality where not only does this situation confront us face to face, but it demands that we as Muslims following the legacy of our prophets and the teachings of our deen show up and continue to pave the path for social justice within our own society. We're living in 2020 in the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. But just a few decades ago, you wouldn't be surprised to come upon signs for separate drinking fountains for whites and blacks. Black students were not allowed to attend public schools with the whites, even though they paid taxes. They could not eat at the same restaurants as the whites, and they had to sit in the back of the bus and make room for whites as they boarded on by giving up their seats. And they could not vote, even though they were significant in numbers. In fact, when the southern states needed a boosting in their congressional representation, the Constitution allowed a black person to be considered three-fifths of the value of a free person. Think about that. 60% of a human. And even with the 13th Amendment of the Constitution neutralizing this percentage, Jim Crow laws were enforced to keep blacks from voting and leaving them with very poor facilities or none at all. Disadvantaged and disprivileged, Black people were considered second-class citizens and met with contempt everywhere they went. So it's not hard to imagine 1946 in Charlestown Prison. Prisoner number 22843 sat in his jail cell. He was not given any instructions on what to do or how to behave. With no running water, he was given a slop bucket to use when he needed to relieve himself and empty it when it got full. It would be unfortunate if it started to smell or flies started to swarm around his tiny cell because of it. He had no name. He was a number. Just like the majority of black inmates in the jail, Malcolm Little found himself trapped in a confined cell inside a prison for the charge of robbery. Yet, in reality, outside in the open air, black men and women lived in a society that held them prisoner just because of their skin color. And it excluded them from everything that should be free. Dignity, human decency, equality, honor, and a pursuit for a prosperous life. So you see, a society has to realize to, that to make a person socially responsible, you have to first include him in your society. And if that much cannot be afforded to him, then how do you blame him from robbing from a people who continue to rob him from his basic human rights? These men and women rebelled against a society that repelled them every single day. So yes, Malcolm went to prison at the age of 21, and his short career as a petty criminal is much sensationalized in history. Yet a closer look into his life is revealing of the fact that Malcolm, like millions of other black men and women in the United States, were literally given no other choice. Malcolm came from a family of ministers where his father was also outspoken about the injustices committed on the black community. So it was no surprise that Malcolm's home in Nebraska and then subsequently his home in Michigan were set on fire and burned down. His father was allegedly murdered by white supremacists and his mother, bearing the burden of an entire family without any support, suffered a nervous breakdown and shortly after, six-year-old Malcolm was put in foster care. 
Despite his rough childhood, though, Malcolm was a bright kid who aspired to be a lawyer. That is, until his 8th grade teacher told him that it would be more realistic, more practical for him to become a carpenter instead. So where does a teenager go when he's not allowed the same avenues of value as his white friends? He turned to his own people in the inner cities of Boston and New York, struggling, surviving, hustling in the streets. And if he wasn't given the chance to use his intellect to become a lawyer, he was going to provide for himself the only other way he could. Eventually, and inevitably, he found himself in prison. But this was a major turning point for his life. He came to learn about the Nation of Islam through his brother and quickly realized that Islam made sense, especially for African Americans. The Nation of Islam was a black nationalistic and religious movement founded in the 1930s that addressed the issues devastating the black community in the U.S. at that time. And even though it had significant differences from traditional Islam, Nation of Islam focused on the issues of black communities that were clearly not being addressed by whites or Christianity, particularly the fight against drug addiction. Christianity demanded one to be free from sin. Meanwhile, Nation of Islam accepted those actively sinning and tried to reform them by setting up programs for education, healing, rehabilitation, and mentorship. So after being released from prison, Malcolm became an integral part of the Nation of Islam movement as an activist, as an organizer, as an unapologetic voice of the defeated. He spoke passionately about the injustices in America where black people were beaten, humiliated, and killed in the streets every day. Malcolm understood that there were people like him in the streets and in the prisons who had contributions to make. He had been there. He was with them in the streets and he was with them in the prison. He knew exactly what they were facing. So he used his intellect to bring people into the movement and away from the streets. They called it fishing for the dead. He gave the black people hope where there was, they were increasingly becoming hopeless because they were made to think that they did not deserve any better than what they had. And how could they when their ancestors, estimated to be about six to seven millions of the, million of the most healthiest and ablest men and women were kidnapped from the African continent and brought over to be sold to white colonists who needed cheap labor in the tobacco, rice and cotton fields of the American South. And to make the process of holding these human slaves easier, it was necessary to change their whole outlook about themselves. The plantation owners in the South tried to get the Africans to identify themselves not as the people from the kingdoms of West Africa, but as the property of their white masters. They were given new names, made to dress in Western clothes, and they were called Negroes. It was a process for dehumanization. Just like a prisoner is stripped of his name, an identity and allotted a number, they were told, you are a nobody. You are a Negro, a slave to your white master with his given last name. So to join Nation of Islam, it was necessary to fill out an application where one drops their slave name and then assumes the last name X, the unknown, hence Malcolm X. Malcolm knew how important it was to break away from the slave association, and the X symbolized the heritage that had been stolen from the blacks. Malcolm X and the Muslim clearly identified this problem of inferiority complex in the African Americans. Even though slavery had officially ended, and we use the term ended very loosely here, whites wanted to maintain a social order where blacks remained inferior to them, and they often did this by making blacks fearful of white authority and violence. Q in the police force. 
The conception of the police, especially in the South around the 1940s, was for the preservation of the slavery system, to keep slaves under control, and even today, we see the link between policing and mass incarceration of black people and subsequently voter suppression to make African Americans have minimal influence in society. This was the fear, right, that black people will one day, having had enough of the mistreatment, will unite as a strong force to raise their voice and revolt against the system. And so black self-assurance was constantly undermined by portraying Africans as backwards, uneducated, Tarzan-like characters who needed to be civilized and educated and tamed down. And blacks, being ignorant of their own rich history, had developed a self-hatred of their heritage, of their skin color, of their physical features, of their culture, and even their Islamic values that many of them had in Africa. So the Muslims devised a counter-strategy. African Americans needed to educate themselves on their own history and the world around them. This would help them overcome the inferiority and realize that they inhabit a world where around the globe, the majority of the people are people of color, just like them. And along with that, African Americans needed to become economically independent. They needed to become financially stable and be able to stand on their own feet. But the biggest challenge was the psychological freedom. For a people to take control of their lives, they have to start by rejecting the mental and spiritual enslavement of their oppressor. For as long as blacks had the mentality that white man was more intelligent, better looking, and more capable, they would continue to hate themselves. And Malcolm repeated this message of cultivating and reinvesting in self-love everywhere he could. He knew how to bring dignity back to the African Americans, and the young blacks were listening to him intently. By now, Malcolm was being compared to other civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., who advocated for nonviolent resistance and integration into the system. But Malcolm X didn't want to wait another hundred years to feel human, and he didn't want to seek white sympathizers. He was noted to have said that if African Americans did not have the same rights as the whites, it was because the whites didn't want to give them those rights. He wanted freedom by any means necessary and with any sacrifice. And although Dr. King is widely celebrated for his efforts for civil rights, it would be injustice to ignore the fact that it was Malcolm X and his movement that achieved the greatest results with Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Voting Rights Act of 1965. So along with that, he understood well that the mere absence of injustice is not justice. He had the incredible foresight to understand that African Americans needed reparations for the 400 years of injustice on their people so that they can finally stand on their own feet and build their people up. These ideas seemed radical at his time, yet in 2020, they're being echoed from every African American activist as the next step to their struggle for social justice. Malcolm was a visionary. He thought and reflected deeply. And he was also evolving spiritually. So perhaps that is why he needed to venture out and see the world for himself. So in 1964, having grown away from the nation of Islam for political and ideological reasons, Malcolm went for Hajj. And in the spirit of Hajj, he grew to understand humanity as a whole and not just by the color of their skin. He changed his name to Al-Hajj Malik Al-Shabazz and identified publicly as a Sunni Muslim. And it's important to note here that because of this, mainstream Sunni Islam was now the growing religion for African Americans in the United States. And even today, most black Americans prescribe to the Sunni Islam. 
Malcolm had put Muslims on the map in the United States. And internationally, too, he spoke to ambassadors and universities and at state dinners, meeting with influential leaders to speak for the cause of 20 million African Americans suffering in the United States. So obviously, his popularity as an international Muslim American spokesperson was seen as a major threat to the social order in the United States. Malcolm had realized that FBI informants were surveilling his every move and receiving death, death threats was becoming common. He was marked for death and he knew it. In an interview in 1964, Malcolm talking about his advocacy for black Americans said, you'll find very few people who feel like I feel that live long enough to get old. Malcolm X was shot and murdered one year later in 1965. Just like his father, just like Martin Luther King Jr., just like Fred Hampton and any other prominent civil rights activists of the like. No surprises there. Fast forward to post-Trump era where police brutality against the blacks and the hate crimes against the Muslims are an all-time high. Whether it be the murder of George Floyd or punish a Muslim day hashtag on the internet, pictures of Malcolm X are posted all over our social media with captions echoing his famous words and embracing him as our hero. Even I grew up having friends that admired Malcolm X and, and the cool that he represented in Tupac Shakur's hip-hop raps. But when we chose to hang out with black kids in our neighborhoods, our parents gave us that cautious look to be careful. Even today, hip-hop and the black culture is widely appropriated by our youth within our own communities. But just as it is cool to act black, within our homes, our colonial mentality traps us back into thinking whiteness is goodness. Whiteness is beauty. Whiteness is civilized. Whiteness is safe. And surely this discriminatory sentiment shows up in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in our personal interactions with the black community. And for being 20% of the Muslim population in America, black Muslims are grossly underrepresented in our masajid and prominent Muslim American institutions. But for Malcolm X, this would be unacceptable. Indifference to struggles of black Americans would be unacceptable. To embrace the cool, rebellious, revolutionary that was Malcolm X as our own hero while dismissing and disengaging with the African American people would be completely unacceptable. So where do you and I stand? In the face of rising racial tensions, firstly, recognizing that tough circumstances our black brothers and sisters face in the United States are not our circumstances. Their struggle is something beyond what we have experience of. With that acknowledgement, we must first free ourselves of the colonial mentality where whiteness is superior and embrace the idea of self-love and digni dignity dignified unity for Muslims that Malcolm X strongly propagated. But furthermore, to truly honor Malcolm's legacy, we must acknowledge the internal racism within our Muslim American communities that ends up excluding our own African American brothers and sisters from the wider Muslim circle. And then we need to work on building better relationships with our brothers and sisters to help them as much as we can to bring justice, healing, and prosperity for them, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always guide us to the truth and the best of actions. Ameen. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.